0: You're listening to the Nonprofit Power Podcast. Today's episode answers the question, how to use story to create breakthrough messaging with decision makers. So stay tuned. If you wanna have real and powerful influence over the money and policy decisions that impact your organization and the people you serve, then you're in the right place. I'm Kath Patrick, and I've helped dozens of progressive nonprofit leaders take their organizations to new and higher levels of impact and success by building powerful influence with the decision makers that matter. It is possible to get a critical mass of the money and policy decision makers in your world to be as invested in your success as you are, to have them seeking you out as an equal partner, and to have them bringing opportunities and resources to you. This podcast will help you do just that. Welcome to the Nonprofit Power Podcast. Hey everybody, Kath Patrick here. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Nonprofit Power Podcast. I'm so glad you're here for today's episode. How would it feel to be in a conversation with money and policy decision makers where they're fully engaged and excited to be talking with you? What would change if you could make that happen on a regular basis? If that sounds like a pipe dream, I've got good news. In this episode, we'll reveal the simple three part story formula that you can use to create breakthrough messaging that gets decision makers leaning in and asking you to tell them more. Hey there, folks. Welcome to the Nonprofit Power Podcast. I'm your host, Kath Patrick. In last week's episode, we started to talk about how to use stories to engage decision makers. And today, I want to go deeper on that and give you some tools and examples to work with so you can start putting this strategy to work in your messaging. Nonprofits use stories all the time, but they tend to focus on client success stories. And those are great. They serve a lot of purposes. They can be incredibly helpful in engaging donors, in giving a a face to the kinds of work we do and the results that we get. But the kind of story I'm talking about here is the one that will help you break through the decision makers' filters and get them leaning in and wanting to know more, and then to engage with you in a meaningful way about the thing that you need from them. So we talked a lot in last week's episode about the kinds of filters that Decision makers have that are basically screening you out most of the time, and that you have to find a way to break through. So, here's how you build a story that breaks through. Number one, it speaks to the decision maker's headache. The thing that they want, or the thing that's keeping them up at night, that's their headache, and you want to focus on it. Number two, it highlights a great result that solves that headache. And third, It creates a mystery or a knowledge gap around what it was that caused such exceptional results. And what it doesn't do is focus on the services themselves. Those come later, but they're not part of the initial story. Now, I want to point out that this is one of many formulas. I'm going to go deep on this one because it's just so versatile. So let's talk a little bit more about each of those ingredients you got to have some idea of what the decision-maker's headache is. And again, we talked in the last episode about how you can begin to look into that if you don't already know. But the more vivid you can be in describing the headache, the more you're going to get their attention. Now, this next one is super important because without it, you don't have a story. You have to have some kind of outstanding result or impact. If you said to a decision maker, well, we had pretty good results and then we added this one thing and we still had pretty good results. Well, that's not attention getting. There's nothing there to make anybody lean in. You need a way to tie your outstanding result back to the headache. They pay much better attention if you can fix their headache. The whole point of this story structure is that, and you create a mystery or a knowledge gap about how you cured the headache. And this means you have to resist the temptation to tell them all about how you did it before they ask, either with words or with body language. So when do you tell these stories? Anytime you want to get a money or a policy decision maker to pay attention and engage, that's when you tell these stories, especially if you don't already have a strong and established relationship with that decision maker. What I love about this structure is the versatility. You can use this story formula for a lot of different scenarios. If you wanted to sell policymakers on the idea of a pilot project to demonstrate and verify the benefits of a set of services as a prelude to either a dedicated funding stream or mandated services in an existing funding stream, it would work for that. If you want to change an existing policy that's maybe preventing or creating barriers to the use of a highly effective practice or solution that you've got. If you want a public or private entity to contract with you for your services, you don't need a policy change, you just need them to invest. Just about any scenario where you want a money or a policy decision maker to take an action that will help you, this story formula is a great way to get them engaged and to have them invest in the conversation with you. Basically, what you're going to do is tell a story about how one day you discovered how to cure the decision maker's headache. What you're not going to do is tell them how you did it. That's the mystery. That's the knowledge gap that's going to make them lean in and say, wait, how'd you do that? I want to know. Now, they might do that with words. They might do it with body language. But that's what you're looking for. So you take your powerful piece of impact data, your exceptional result, And you match it with the decision-maker's headache. And then you tell a story about the headache getting cured, which is different from the story of how you cured the headache. Did you get that difference? It's important. So you start by naming the headache. And there are some typical headaches that fall into some general categories, particularly with policymakers, but decision makers in general. And the first one is actually kind of a, a great headache if this is the one that your policymaker has. And that's if they truly want a better way because they care about solving the larger societal problem. If you've got a, a decision maker for whom that's their headache, that's awesome because that person actually cares on an emotional level, about this problem. And they are automatically, because of that, a potential ally or champion if you can develop that relationship. That's a great headache to get to address. Other typical headaches, they may be getting pressure from community groups about the lack of progress on the problem. So they themselves might not be deeply invested in that problem or its solution, but they have a big headache, which is that the community groups are mad about it, and the decision makers getting a ton of pressure for them, and that's creating a headache. So solve the underlying problem, cure the headache. They might well be under pressure around budget. So you can come at it from that angle. Their headache might be that costs around the problem are increasing, or costs around ineffective solutions are increasing. And yet there's little to show for the investment, for the expenditure. So those are some really common headaches that your decision maker might be dealing with. And you can dig in and find more, but it might well be that that's what you got going on. So you open with empathy for that headache. And you'd say something like, one of the biggest frustrations, problems, challenges, choose your language, around X is... The name of the headache. Right? That's the basic structure of your empathy statement. That gets their attention and lets them know you understand them and their headache. Start with that, and then you have a little bridge statement. We struggled with that too until we identified a missing piece that turned out to be the key to unlocking transformative results or dramatically better results, something like that. Or, A lot of folks in this field struggle with that same thing, so we decided to try something different, or we noticed a detail that others were missing, and then you move to your but-then piece. But then, we changed or added one thing and got this incredible high-impact result that cures the headache. But then, we discovered a critical missing ingredient. Or, we had good results with A and B, but when we combined them, that's when extraordinary results started to happen. Or, we've discovered a way to reliably, consistently get that high-impact result. And then you stop. That's the hardest part. We want to get right into talking about how we did it. But it's not time yet. When you stop there, you trigger a couple of internal thoughts in the decision maker. First is that reaction of, what did you do? How, how did you get that result? How did you cure that headache? And the other thing that may get triggered, and they probably won't say this out loud, is, oh, so that's why this hasn't gotten solved before. And if you can get that going on, that starts to change their thinking, open up their mind to new possibilities, new ways of looking at things. Again, you're breaking through filters, you're opening their mind, you're creating a desire to engage. That is the entire purpose of the story. You still have plenty of work to do after this, but the number one challenge you face is getting decision makers to engage in the first place. And that's what these stories are for. So let's get into an example around policy that I'll go into in some depth to give you a sense of how you would actually build this out. Okay, so let's say you have a model that is so powerfully effective that you believe it should become the standard practice for the field. But currently, the major government funding sources for that set of services either don't speak to that approach at all. Or maybe it makes it optional. And your approach is more intensive than the current standard. But your outcomes prove the point that your method, your approach, is so much more effective that at a minimum, it should be clearly supported by the authorizing legislation. And better yet, it should be mandated as a standard practice. Now, if your goal were to mandate your approach as standard practice, you would probably have a bunch of steps to getting there, and that might include a pilot and demonstration phase or what have you. So you're going to have a strategy for how you would go after that, and you would probably actually develop that with the policymaker that you engage sufficiently that they're going to help you and work with you on this. So if you already have a friendly policymaker that you have a relationship with and that knows this field inside and out, that's great then you probably have a shorter path to helping them understand why they should champion the policy that you want. And again, if they're in that category of part of their headache is that they are personally frustrated and vexed that this problem isn't being solved because they actually care about it, you're in really good territory. But for a decision maker who's not deeply immersed in the field, they're going to need some help understanding why this is even an important issue and why it's important to do the thing you want. Either way, you're not going to get anywhere unless you first get them interested and engaged. This is where a well-crafted story can help accelerate your getting to the point where the policymaker's interested in paying attention and wanting to do something with you. Let's use an example of an organization that helps low-income individuals become economically self-sufficient. They mostly serve folks who are well below the poverty line and that typically have multiple challenges going on in their lives. And yet, they have some extraordinary impact data. They have a unique approach, which is the secret to their success, but that approach has not been widely adopted for a number of reasons, some of which has to do with structures and rules of existing federal programs. And frankly, their model just doesn't really fit into those very neatly. So let's say they've decided Instead of going straight to the federal level and trying to change policy there, they decide to go after policy change at the state level for a couple of reasons. They're in a progressive state. The political climate is friendlier. It's a much smaller lift. Changing massive federal programs is a very difficult, complicated process, but changing something at the state level feels more manageable, and they're feeling like, yeah, we can see a path to Getting this done, we have an idea about what policies we would need to change at the state level, and we think we could probably sell the idea of a demonstration or pilot project initially with the goal of institutionalizing this approach as standard practice once we prove the concept at organizations other than our own, because we have to show that it can be replicated. So let's say that's what they've decided. Okay. So, they have got to go talk to some state legislators to get this started. So, using the story formula that we talked about, here's how that might go. One of the biggest problems in workforce development is getting people from really difficult circumstances, poverty, multiple crises, and so on, to a place where they can actually be economically self-sufficient. But it's so challenging, frankly, most of the time, the system settles for far less ambitious outcomes. You know, people get some help, maybe they get some training, but in the end, their wages still don't cover their basic needs. And then, you know, often folks don't stay in those jobs for long. So the problems just continue. And in the meantime, we've spent a bunch of money for not much return. We struggled with that too, for a long time. But we were determined to find a way to actually get people to real Economic self sufficiency. And then we identified a key piece that had been missing from all the standard approaches. And when we added that piece, everything changed. Within a year, our wage outcomes tripled. People were successful in keeping those jobs and started to advance and earn even more. And now they can actually support their families. And they're able to move off some of the long term supports that they'd had to rely on for years. How different would the level of engagement be from that decision maker, from that policy maker? If the organization came in and started the conversation the conventional way, using the standard formula of who we are, what we do, our impressive data that show how effective we are, and then you get to your ask. If you put all that stuff up front, they've stopped listening. They're not engaging. Their filters have been engaged and they're blocking you out. So, in addition to the story structure, you also need an identity statement that speaks to the problems you solve and that uses the language of the decision maker you're engaging. So, continuing with this example, for the decision maker who's totally steeped in that world or in your world, you can use shorthand, you can compress things down because there's a bunch of shared understanding about what phrases and jargon mean. For a well-versed decision-maker in this world, their identity statement might be, we help people who've been stuck in a poverty cycle break out of that and achieve genuine and sustainable economic self-sufficiency. But if they are talking to a decision-maker who's less jargon-oriented or less steeped in those systems and problems, their identity statement might say something like, We help folks who have grown up in poverty in the toughest neighborhoods break out of that and become productive, taxpaying citizens who hold down good-paying jobs that support them and their families. Something like that. That identity statement needs to be short and sweet. It's one sentence. If you can't boil down who you help and what problem you solve into one sentence, two sentences maximum, you're not tightly focused enough for the purpose of this initial engagement. So you need that concise identity statement. Now, an additional piece in your messaging that goes one level deeper on sophistication is that you're also embedding in the decision maker's mind the identity that you are one or more of the following. The best in the business, uniquely valuable in some way, and or indispensable. The point being, you're not just one of a bunch of Service providers who do generally the same thing and there's really nothing special about your work or its impact or its results. If you don't stand out in some way, you're going to have a lot of trouble getting any traction with decision makers. So this is a really important one to focus in on and make sure that you have clearly identified what about your approach, your method, your identity, your niche, and always, always your outcomes what about them is uniquely valuable and or indispensable? What is it that sets you apart? And if you're a collaborative sort who resists the more competitive language of we're the best in the business, that's okay. But you still have to find a way to set yourself apart. Maybe part of what sets you apart is that you're a specialist at serving a certain subset of the population, whether it's A demographic subset or a circumstance based subset or both. For example, if you serve youth with a specific set of challenges, it might be that that niche is part of what sets you apart. The fact that you focus on that niche and have developed deep expertise in the needs of that population and have done the work to discover and develop a set of services that helps that population succeed or improve at a level or to a degree that is exceptional. Always this has to come back to your exceptional results, your exceptional impact. There needs to be a reason for the decision maker to pay attention to you. And if you're just like everybody else and have no distinguishing characteristics or claims, that's going to be a lot harder to break through. So another big part of your assignment is to identify those things that make you unique and indispensable. And I'm going to emphasize again that you must have results. You can have the most unique niche in the world, the most unique combination of services, but if that's not producing at least one excellent or preferably exceptional result, then it's going to be hard to sell anybody on why they should listen to you or do the things you're asking them to do. But I'm going to assume you don't have that problem and that The only thing you might need to work on here is just making sure that you can articulate that clearly and concisely. So, to recap, here's what you need to create your own breakthrough story based messaging. You need a clear, simple statement about who you help and what problems you solve. You need a clear identity around what makes your organization or work uniquely valuable and what outstanding results you produce. And you want to build a story that speaks to the decision-maker's headache, that highlights a great result that solves the headache, and that creates a mystery or a knowledge gap about what caused that exceptional result. Practice that a little bit. Put together a couple of stories or a couple of versions of stories for different policymakers or other decision-makers. Play around with it. It takes practice to get good at this, But this is a pretty simple framework that if you work with it for a while, you will discover that it can make huge differences in getting decision makers' attention and getting them to engage with you right from the beginning. So give this a try and tell me how it went. You can reach me on LinkedIn at the Nonprofit Power Podcast or on the podcast website at nonprofitpowerpodcast.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.